Welcome to Chapter 2 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with Joe Kavidar, VP of Connected Health at Partners Healthcare. In this segment, we'll discuss what the term Connected Health means to him, why he believes the industry is reaching a tipping point with video conferencing, and why messaging is critical when it comes to increasing clinician adoption. When you talk about Connected Health, I think what came to mind for me is mobile health, but it's one aspect of it. Yeah, the naming thing has always been a problem in this in this space, and and I've contributed to it uh, not uh, with malice. We I mentioned earlier we we called ourselves telemedicine in the beginning. Some people came in very shortly thereabouts in the mid 90s and said, "Geez, we ought to call it telehealth because if we call it telehealth, we can talk about educational activities and other things and broaden the scope." And so we had this debate. I was. Parenthetically, I was uh, president of the American Telemedicine Association about 10 years ago or so, and I, we spent a whole board meeting debating whether we should change our name to telehealth or stay at telemedicine. So it was a big deal. It's hard to believe this because it's hot right now, but 10 to 12 years ago, telemedicine was a bit like a millstone around your neck, and we were doing all these other things with what we now call wearables. They, we didn't have that term then, but home monitoring or sensors or stuff like that, and so we coined the term Connected Health in 2006 because we, we needed a new way of talking about what we were doing. That, that became another term that's now well adopted in the industry, but other people came along and they said, well, no, really, it's mobile health. And then the term du jour these days is digital health. Right. And I guess the, you know, the only thing I would say about it all is that most of the time we're talking about the same thing. And most of the time, our choice of words has to do with our viewpoint. So for us, we thought connectivity was a big part of what made this special. And as I said earlier, the initial vision was time and place independent. And so you had to have connectivity for that. Uh, When you get into the modern day, for instance, all the innovators doing quote-unquote digital health, they're doing everything from new ways of claims processing and new ways of getting people eligible for programs, new ways of helping device companies market to doctors. All of this stuff is under the rubric of digital health. The, the vision was to inspire you as a consumer or patient to take better care of yourself using these technologies, and that's why we have stuck with Connected Health. Right. Interesting, the, uh, what the, using a different word can do, but I definitely understand what you're saying. With telehealth, it's, it's interesting to me because that's something that appears to be picking up more steam now, especially with, with where the industry is headed. And is that something that you're seeing, like maybe like a, a renewed uh, focus on telehealth? Well, yes, and that, as I said, it's hot right now, and it's hard to believe that 10 or 12 years ago we were shunning the term, but what happened in the meantime was so if you go back 12 years, that puts us in 2004, 2005, we didn't have something called an iPhone yet. There were these things called smartphones, but they were very clumsy and, and their, their interface really wasn't that. I mean, it was really the way the iPhone was designed that changed the world. And that changed the notion of how people thought about communication. Uh, you have to give Apple credit, but FaceTime and, and Skype really changed the way we thought about video. And what happens is doctors are very methodical creatures on purpose, right? We, we, want, we don't want to put you at risk. I'm a dermatologist, so if you come see me and you say I have a spot on my arm, I will do the same exam starting with your scalp 
all the way down to your toes, and then I'll look at your arm. It's just the way we're trained. We do things very methodically. So uh, if you translate that into the world of moving from face-to-face to digital, video seems like a comfortable environment because even though you're not in my office, I can see you, I can talk to you, I can take a history. And by the way, if you're a mental health patient, I can do my exam because it's the same. So you're seeing this surge of interest in video, partly driven by the payer community. They're seeing it as a stay-in-business table stakes type offering now, partly driven by retail pharmacy extending retail clinics into the virtual space, and uh, healthcare providers around the country saying, geez, we better get on the bandwagon here because our patients are expecting in the same way that they can use Seamless or Uber, they're expecting healthcare to have some components of that uh, right in your mobile phone when you want it experience. Uh, and again, the first phase of that is video. And yes, it's, and of course, the reimbursement's falling in line. The technology is relatively easy now. So it's starting to feel like a snowball rolling down a hill for sure. Right. Seems to be another example of how Things like Connected Health have seen such huge, huge growth, but that hasn't always translated into high adoption in healthcare, and, and much has been made of that, and for a good reason. But there are different barriers when it comes to healthcare, and, and that's that's something that can't be overlooked. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting for the resurgence of di- uh, virtual visits or video care. Uh, has several components, one among them that for years was viewed as holding it back, right? We always had our classic barriers of workflow, reimbursement, liability. And all of a sudden, even though reimbursement isn't quite figured out, people are moving ahead because they feel like they have to, right? It's fear of missing out. Like everyone else is doing this, we better get on board or we're going to be left behind. When, when you see that tipping point in any adoption curve, it's an interesting time, and, and I dare say we're at that tipping point for the use of video for patient care in medicine. And, of course, now there are multiple uh, well-established firms who will handle all this for you. We, we just happen to be doing here at Partners an RFP and an RFI around this topic, so we're, I'm reviewing them as, as, as I have time now. We're meeting tomorrow to review uh, respondents to an RFP. So it's quite timely. And if you look at what the industry offers, it's easy technology. They offer uh, uh, physician networks now that are licensed all over the country so that if you want to open yourself up to video that's really place independent, you can. And you'll be able to, if it's not your doctor, you'll be able to get a doctor uh, on the phone, if you will, to talk to that person that's licensed in their state. So, you know, the world's changing pretty rapidly. And um, as I said, it's largely being driven by people feeling like if they don't get on board, they'll be a dinosaur. Uh, the interesting thing is, as I said earlier, the reimbursement is happening. It's just people used to feel like they had to wait for that to be all nailed down. And now all of a sudden they're saying, well, we know it's going to happen, so we better get going and we'll figure that out as we go along. Right. And when you, when you talked about um, taking on more risk, um, certainly what we're hearing is that, that hospitals are moving towards it, but very cautiously. And what are your thoughts on that and, and how that's going to start to change? Well, again, I think in the, in the realm of video, it's a future that they can easily comprehend. It doesn't give people the willies. So, you, you know, the way other end of the spectrum is artificial intelligence driving clinical decision-making and driving patient interactions and 
whether it's something like Amazon's Alexa or what have you. And that gives people the willies because they're, they're, they think, oh, is my job threatened or what does that mean or don't I have relationships with my patients and aren't I smart and this computer's really smarter than me. So all those gut-level fears come into play when you start talking about that state of the future, whereas if you just say, you know what, instead of doing your sore throat checkup follow-up in person, let's try doing it by video. And maybe we can throw in, if the person has a blood pressure cuff, they can take their pressure and you can do a blood pressure check that way. And yes, we'll find a way to pay you for it. And yes, we'll integrate it into your EMR. And all of a sudden people are like, oh, that makes sense. So it's a journey. And I think the next thing after video is going to be remote monitoring uh, for medical illness. Uh, like blood pressure, like heart failure. Heart failure in some ways is already pretty well established as a disease that is very, very responsive to this kind of approach, uh, both in terms of um, decreased readmissions, improved mortality. We've even demonstrated lower total medical expense if you do heart failure monitoring. So that, that one seems to be poised for growth. And then you get into this space. The, the third one that I talk about is is that what do I do if I'm a clinician with a patient who's eager to upload their Fitbit data and what am I going to do with that and it's wearables and mobile apps and do I recommend a certain mobile app or I'm worried about if, if I recommend it and it's not right and I've, there's no way for me to, to uh, curate them. And so all of that anxiety has is, is got to be fixed. And then the fourth part of the journey, in my opinion, is this, you mentioned it earlier, but using mobile tools for patient engagement, which takes the leap of some of the work that I do as a doctor, we're now giving you and we're giving you software to do that work. Again, other industries have done this already for years. You check yourself in at the airport, you pump your own gas, uh, you, you buy things online, you, you do your travel planning over a website, but we in healthcare still think the only way we can add value is you gotta come visit us in an office to get something done. So right. we have to make that leap and, and that gets into, as I said, gets into this idea of using mobile engagement tools and eventually artificial intelligence. And so I, I think it's a, it's a journey. We've still got a few miles to go, but, but this, it's very encouraging to see this early phase excitement about virtual visits because that's going to really push us to accelerate adoption of some of these other things. Right. And, and when you uh, alluded to the, the interest in, in innovation, is a, a good portion of that focused on things like um, – uh, mobile tools like texting, or, or is it really just all over the road as far as what innovators are trying to do? Well, our own group is focused on that latter thing, which is engagement and, and uh, using engagement and thinking about how to design software that puts you in charge and inspires you to better health rather than having to passively involve a doctor for everything. So that that's our passion and focus. In the industry, people are trying to use uh, the same platform that's revolutionized everything from travel to how you hail a cab to how you order food. Uh, and, and people see all of those innovations and they want to see which ones apply to healthcare. So there's, there's a very broad palette of things going on overall. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.